Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Stop Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brown. Jonathan Hood, weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome in to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm Chris Black along with Jonathan Hood tonight. You can follow us on Twitter at TweetJHood and at Chris Black. We are live from the First Midwest Bank Studios on State Street in downtown Chicago. We are here till 9 o'clock tonight. We are open for business and your phone calls at 312-332-3776. Or you can tweet at us throughout the show. We will get back to you. Lots to do tonight, Jonathan, at 7.30. In 25 minutes, we will talk with Chris Felica, the bear from ESPN's College Game Day. He'll talk some college football with us as week zero is here. We're ready to go. And also, lots to do on the Chicago Cubs tonight. No question about it. The Cubs, they fall short against the Nationals at Wrigley Field. But looking forward to hearing from the Bear at the bottom because, as you mentioned, college football is right around the corner. I'd like to remind you that on August 31st, it'll be Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, and yours truly. We will have Chicago's College Tailgate. We're excited about it if you're a college football fan. Every Saturday before Notre Dame football, we've got something for you for college football, giving you gambling tips, giving you all the updated scoreboard, and all the storylines around college football taking place on August 31st at noon right here on ESPN 1000. So a lot of college football coming up on the program. We have some NFL as well. In 10 minutes, I want to ask you about the ceiling for the Chicago Bears this season, but we start tonight with the Chicago Cubs. They lose 9-3 to to the Nationals. John Lester goes four and one-third innings pitched today. Six certain runs, two strikeouts, one walk. He gave up nine hits, Jonathan. And once again, to me, it seems as if John Lester is not hitting the stride that we're used to seeing him hit throughout a season this deep into a year. You know, usually we get one blurb on the on the radar where it shows he has a really bad outing. Well, now he's starting to collect a few of these here towards the end of this season. Yeah, the question has always been out there all season. Who's the ace of Chicago baseball, Cubs or White Sox? And I think it's clearly Lucas Giolito. But when you look at the Cubs, is Lester still the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to starting pitching? In this game here, watching the ebb and flow of this game, it's the typical John Lester game when it's not going well. John Lester, if there is a, a blue pit and there's a blast here and he gets behind and then he starts to struggle and that face becomes beat red, then you know it's going to be a bad day. And, and so more than anything else that had to piss off Lester, it was bases loaded. Okay, Big spot here, bases loaded. What's going to happen? A bunt down the third baseline did not go foul, and that scores a run. I think that that made Lester mad more than anything else, that there was a bunt with the defense back, and Bryant was back at third base. I think that really made him upset more than anything else. Yeah, and you get sloppy defense behind you as well. You have an error on the day, Bryant with the error, and then also you know, you look at the way that this Cubs team has played in the last week. They've been really good. 
uh, in the last week, but they've also been at home. So to me, the way you have to look at this in the context of way the, the way this season is going is that you have to stack victories while you're at home because once you go on the road, this team is a completely different ball club. So this weekend is a big weekend. The Nationals, they're a team that has uh, two more victories than you do at the moment with 71. The Cubs now sitting at 69 for the season. Uh, the Nationals are a good team trying to make the playoffs as well. Big spot this weekend. John Lester lays an egg today, a Friday home game where you need to stack victories before you go back onto the road. Yeah, and and you need to be able to have that quality pitching all throughout, especially when you're the Cubs at this point in time. Keep in mind that the Cubs in the National League Central uh, are, are the worst out of all the teams in the big leagues. There are real teams in baseball like the Dodgers and the Yankees, even Rocco Baldelli's Twins. But the Cubs have just been what Joe Madden described yesterday as this team that just continues to swim and can't get to the top, you know, just continues to swim, flailing your arms, and just they can't get a breath, Chris, because of how unorthodox this season has been. It's not a bad season. It's just an underachieving season. And keep in mind, when you have won the World Series and your expectations is to be in the mix for the National League Championship every single year, when you have a season like this, it's a good season. But you look at the other teams in the National League that are vying for contention, the Cubs just seem just in the middle of the road versus some of those other teams. Yeah, you look at Atlanta, 77 victories. Uh, we know what's happening in the NL Central, but then you also look at the Nationals at 71. You see the Diamondbacks at 64. They're not going to really play a part in this conversation but you have the three teams in the central the cardinals the cubs and the brewers all jam-packed there at 68 69 65 wins and the dodgers the best team in the national league at 85 and and you know i i feel like there are cub fans who are okay and have accepted the fact that just win your division and get in and that's okay I think there are also some parts of the fan base that look at it and understand that there is a championship window closing in front of them. And just being good enough in the NL Central may not be good enough in the long run because you have to face Atlanta and the Los Angeles Dodgers in the playoffs. Both teams are playing much better baseball than you are throughout this season and especially right now the Braves are on a five game winning streak the Dodgers have won three in a row seven of their last ten games you know they they're by far the best team in the NL so like I I wonder where you fit on this scale when you look at the Chicago Cubs Mm -hmm. like do you view it as it's just okay just get in as long as you get in it's it's going to be fine we'll figure it out to me the reason why that's a flawed thought process is because you will be then starting your playoff series on the road Back to what we were saying. This team is a completely different baseball team on the road. So if you're starting that series down 0-2, how far are you really going to go in these playoffs if you just get in? Yeah, I think that there's, it's a step on the ladder of success to be able to win your division or get to the playoffs because there's value in that, right? This isn't how some view the NBA saying yeah, everyone gets in the playoffs or NHL, everybody gets in the playoffs. No, there's value of you being able to get in the postseason. There's no question about that. However, it's what you do in the playoffs that says all you need to know about this Cubs team. Because as we illustrated for you, looking at all of these teams in the National League at the top of the heap, those teams seem like they have it together. They might not have the hitting. They might have all the pitching, but they seem more consistent than this Cubs team. Keep in mind, we have a Cubs team here that doesn't have, where, is, where was it, August 23rd? There's no closer in place as of yet. You have a team that just can't get some momentum going as far as being on the road. Beating Pittsburgh, that was their first 
road series win in three months. So you're looking for consistency with this team, and you just have not had that. Yes, there's value against the playoffs, but at the same time, Chris, if you don't make any noise, it's a lost season. Chris Black, Jonathan Hood here on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. After the game today, Joe Madden talked about John Lester. He still believes in his ace, John Lester. He wasn't that bad. I really don't, outside of that last inning when they scored him up, I thought he actually threw the ball decently. So I know he's going to say otherwise, but um, he will find a way to get himself back into the the picture in the right way. I mean, there's a lot of time left with the playoffs, etc. So I'm counting on, I'm, I'm, I believe in John. So that's Joe Madden. John Lester, after the game, talked about his performance today. I feel like it was better than that, but line score is a line score. We lost. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it was, what, nine hits? Eight were singles. So, I mean, I don't... Um, I don't know. Um, tough luck, bad pitches, good pitches. It's frustrating. I don't feel like stuff was much different from last time, just different results. And, and that's what that's the shitty part about this game and, and uh, you know, kind of my job. Uh, it's result-driven. It doesn't matter how I feel or what the game plan was going in. You have to execute and get people out and keep them from scoring runs, and uh, I'm just not doing that. Joe's always said, you know, you, you win hard, you lose hard. And uh, losing for me is even harder than that. Um, Sucking as a pitcher is even harder than that. So, um, you know, it's my job to to do better, and I'm not. And um, you know, let a five game winning streak, you know, basically go down to the wayside because I didn't throw the ball very well. It's kind of what Lester said at the end of last season. Sometimes you get tired of having your blank knocked into the dirt time and time again, and you stand up. Well, Lester did not stand up today. He knows. He knows that he underachieved. He kind of broke it down as far as singles and what happened. But the bottom line is it's an L. And take that L because that's exactly what happened. He's the same John Lester, by the way, whether he was tongue-in-cheek or not, saying that, you know, I'm probably the worst pitcher on this staff. And maybe he feels that way at times. But, Chris, if you are an ace, if you're really an ace, you're better than what we saw here. Everyone has a bad day, but 10-9 and nine with a 5 ERA doesn't get it done. That doesn't say ace to me, not on a good team. Yeah, you got to figure it out if you're John Lester. And, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting. He kind of sounds not defeated, but he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong, yet his results are not there. Uh, teams are hitting him hard. You look at the hard-hit stats based on what he's throwing up there and what uh, the lineups are, are doing to him as of late in the last month. Teams are getting to him, so something's not working the way it is, and that's why you go back to what Baseball Prospectus and Pakota was projecting for this rotation at the beginning of the year. It wasn't saying that they would be terrible, but at some point, guys get old. You know, like at some point, old pitchers start to decline, and that's where you kind of look at Cole Hamels and John Lester in the last month, and you say, okay, okay are these two really your your lead dogs heading into a playoff series as we go down to the stretch run trying to make the playoffs? You know what also Pakota tells me? Pakota tells me that when you're dressed like a ghost, people batters can't see that arm slot, I mean, so they're just going to be swinging. Yeah, Major right. League Baseball, in their infinite wisdom, hey, let's have one team wear all black and the other team wear all white as the Cubs are dressed like, what, a bunch of ghosts out there, right? Big surprise, taking all the color out of the game there. (laughs)
Major League Baseball. And what are they doing? Are that supposed to be fun? Well, no. The baby boomers are comfortable this yeah. weekend because well, yeah. they, they've got a. Hey, that's how it was when I was watching on the old black and white TV. There was a <laughs> team that was in black and the other one was in white. Mm-hmm. Chris Black, Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000. Yesterday after the game, Joe Madden was asked because the Cubs went to 11 games over 500, Jonathan. But he was asked the question Has this season been a slog? And it's kind of what you were talking about, just the way the Cubs have gone through this season. I thought this was interesting to bring back. Here's Joe Madden after last night's game talking about the fact that they're now, they were at a best 11 games over 500. And, and the way this season has kind of gone for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, it has been underwater, throwing rights and lefts, just trying to, absolutely, it's been a slug. Um, it's been unusual. We, we seem to be getting there and over the top because you want to go 5, 10, 15, 20, etc. over and we just uh, have been unable to sustain it. Uh, the road's gotten in our way, literally, actually it has and we have to we have to continue this good play here and then we're going to play a really tough team on the road next week uh, but I think our guys mentally are in a good place right now. Good team coming in. Uh, we'll get to see Davey um, but yeah we, we got to keep doing that uh, increments by five that's what you want to get done to really get where you want to be so that's joe madden yesterday so that means tomorrow you got to bounce back you got to take this uh weekend series before you go back onto the road well it's important because the cubs are going to run into a red hot mets team that's turned things around on the road again two out of three is something that the cubs can attain because of how well they played at home chris but i think after this, now it's the Mets on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week into Milwaukee back at the friendly confines. So the Mets have played tough. They have turned their whole season around. 83-year-old pitching coach and Phil Regan. You've got a, a manager that was going to be fired by the All-Star break, and boy, they have come together big time. I don't have sabermetrics to go with this or analytics to do it, uh, but sometimes with baseball, you just feel it. And doesn't it kind of feel like the Mets have something there? The way they've won in the last couple of weeks and the way they've turned it on since the All-Star break. Sometimes in baseball, a feeling is a stat that you can't can't look at and actually figure it out. Sometimes those teams are the teams that actually win out and get into the playoffs and they're trouble. The seam heads have drowned us in stats because they're trying to make the game more interesting. They're trying to catch the NBA or NFL as far as interest. Now, there is some merit to some of those stats, but Chris, ultimately, here's what it comes down to. Uh, Are you hitting or are you not hitting? (laughs) As Carmen would tell you, are you pitching or are you pitching? What's that stat? Hey, what's that stat? Hey, are they hitting or are they pitching? That's all. I mean, because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. That's how old-timey baseball is. Are you coming together as a team or are you not? It's the only sport in all sports in which one person struggles, the whole lineup struggles. Even if you have a couple of bad shooters in basketball, there might be someone that could be able to shoot your way through. You know, that will come through. In baseball, oh, you don't feel good? I don't feel good. You feel great? Let's win 15 in a row. <laughs> it's weird like that, right? How much fun is this? Oh, wow. wow. Let's win. We're in the wild card. Oh, Syndergaard, give me a chest bump. Come on, buddy. <laughs> Just amazing. Chris Black, Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let's switch to this. I saw this earlier today on ESPN.com, Jonathan. Ceilings and floors for all 32 NFL teams in 2019. 
and how they get there. So let's take a look at the NFC North, and we'll start with the Chicago Bears. Jeff Dickerson did a great job writing up this for ESPN.com, and he has the ceiling for the Bears this season as we head into the third week of preseason here this weekend. The Bears and Colts, they play tomorrow, Saturday, again, uh, 6 o'clock at Lucas Oil Stadium. So the Bears' ceiling, per Jeff Dickerson, is 11-5. and five. The Bears' floor is 7-9. and nine. He says the biggest variable is health. Would you agree with the assessment that Jeff Dickerson gave on ESPN.com? He's my partner on the national shows. Of course I would agree with his assessment or his feelings will be hurt. But nonetheless, when you take a look at, at this Bears team, I think that that is a ceiling. Keep in mind where the Bears were last year. Many look at the Bears gonna, that feel that they're going to take a step back, right? 10 wins, maybe 11 wins. That's not so bad, actually. Um, the reason why that they'll take a step back for some is because they feel like there's going to be a disconnect with the defense, saying that Vic Fangio's thoughts on defense might be different from Chuck Pagano's. Or maybe Mitch Trubisky is not going to be able to be the quarterback that they thought they, they were getting. So injuries are a big issue because look at all the teams in the NFL. The Bears were the fourth healthiest. That's a positive. If all goes wrong, is 7-9 and nine actually uh, better than you would expect? Uh, say they don't figure out this kicker situation. Right. Uh, say Trubisky doesn't take a step forward and the defense comes back to earth based on turnovers, which you can't guarantee from year to year in the NFL. We saw Jacksonville, the team that led in turnovers two years ago last season because the offense couldn't pick up the slack. Their defense actually took a little bit of a step back and that threw out the whole balance of the team, the ecosystem of Jacksonville's football team and why they were so good and made it to the AFC championship game the year before got thrown out of whack. Is 79 actually uh, too high of a floor if all things go wrong? Uh, or, 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 or a better way to phrase that would be, is it almost a guarantee that this team's going to be 500? You know, yes. like eight and eight. They're going to be eight and eight. At, at the very, well, everyone's eight and eight. It's right. what you do with that eight and eight. But but no, uh, if they go seven and nine, that means that they are second worst to the Lions. So at the Bears, right? Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I, I can't see them falling that far behind. They'd have to have a slew of injuries on both sides of the football to be that bad. Now here's the thing. You can always count an injury here or there with the Bears or any team in the NFL. I think you should count two per team. Two major injuries at some point. It could happen. It could happen. Players were blessed with good health last year. I mean, again, so healthy. So if they have a couple of injuries, I, I trust the depth on the defense. Maybe I don't trust the depth on the offense, especially at quarterback. At quarterback? At wide receiver? Yep. If Allen Robinson doesn't play 16 games, who's your number one? If Trey Burton doesn't play from the start, who's your tight end? There, there are some questions depth-wise on the Bears' offense and, like you said, the quarterback because he needs them to be good to make him good. Matt Nagy suggested, we played the cut on Under the Hood the other night, that uh, the question was asked, can you have a premier receiver in this offense? And, and Nagy hedged like, I, I think we can. I think we can? That was last night's show. So you're saying that Robinson isn't? It's, it's, it's interesting. Well, it needs to be. Well, that's what he said yesterday. So I, I find it fascinating that Nagy does not necessarily view Robinson as a premier receiver on this team. But maybe this year we'll prove all that out. That he, if he is, I, I think he is. We'll find out.
Chris Black and Jonathan Hood. We're looking at the ceilings and floors for all 32 NFL teams. And we're looking at the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, the ceiling 11 and five, the floor six and 10. The biggest variable is how much the defense will improve. Now, uh, if you haven't been paying attention throughout this offseason, the Packers have spent a lot of draft equity on defense, and they've also gone out and shopped for defensive players to load up the defense for the Packers. So finally, they are addressing the issues they've had the last couple of years on defense. And of course, you have a new head coach, Matt LaFleur, trying to mesh with Aaron Rodgers. What do you think of the ceiling and the floor for the Packers? Okay, as far as the ceiling is concerned, many look at the Packers as possibly the favorite in the NFC North. And I don't know how you could say that because if you are not sure about the defense coordinator for the Bears, how are you sure about Matt LaFleur as the head coach for the Packers, right? How, how do you know? So I would say that the ceiling might be a little high, 10 and 6 maybe, which is an improvement from what they were last year. Uh, I always think these floors are a little bit too low, especially in this particular division, right? Right. Like, like I, I don't, again, we're talking about injuries. It has to be a lot of injuries, including Rodgers, for them to be able to reach that. At worst, this team is 7 and 9. Let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. The ceiling, 11 and 5. The floor, 6 and 10. The same as the Packers, the biggest variable listed on ESPN.com. How well the offense can scheme to quarterback Kirk Cousins' strengths. So, if the Vikings don't get to the Super Bowl, Chicago's own Mike Zimmer is fired. That's as simple as that. He's gone. Is the Super Bowl the benchmark, or can they make a deep playoff run and, and Zimmer be fine? I think he'll be fine if they get to like the NFC Championship game. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, and here's why. Here's what's missing with the Vikings like it is with the Lions. You have two coaches that are defensive-minded. You have uh, an offense in which, I remember, I had the Vikings going to the Super Bowl last year, right? They fell short of that goal. So... Kirk Cousins was supposed to be the guy. Kirk Cousins was good, didn't have a solid offensive line. They they solved that with a couple of offensive linemen that they really believe in, right? So they feel they have a solid enough offensive line. The defense has been strong enough, right? But I think that that they're going to be the winners of the NFC North this year. I think that's what's going to happen with the Bears in second place in the wild card. Yeah, that's interesting the way you stack Bears, the Vikings, Bears, and then Packers beneath them because what you said about the Packers, looking at how they stack up with the Vikings, I think a lot of people are suggesting the Packers are going to be the team that rises up from this collection of teams all stuck right there, and you like the Vikings. I like the Vikings because I'm not as negative on Kirk Cousins as most of the people that talk about sports are. He's not great. He doesn't have to be. But he's average. He have and, to be. and sometimes he's better than average. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got the deal he got from the Vikings. Uh, last, the Lions. Uh, nine and seven for the ceiling. Floor of five and 11. The biggest variable is Daryl Bevel taking the offense over for the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> As you laugh. That, that five and 11 looks really good. It just, I, I just think Coach Pencil doesn't have much of an idea and much of an imagination offensively. I just, I mean, anytime that it's 2019, you have a laminated sheet in front of you and you got a pencil in your in your uh, ear, there's an issue there. So I, I would say that 5 and 11 looks really good. 9 and 7, they throw a party in Detroit. Are you kidding me? I mean, because they still have not been able to solve the running game since Barry Sanders ran the football. They just don't have enough weapons for Stafford, don't have enough running game. Because here's the thing, what the Lions want to do, they want to be able to control the running game and defense. What is that? 2010? 
You can't do that in 2019. Matthew Stafford is the second best quarterback in the division, right? Yes. Okay. Um, You know, Football Outsiders projects out for this season, and in their playoff odds, they have two teams from the NFC North making the playoffs. Yeah. The Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. No, no. I'm 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 serious. That's what they're projecting out. That's fine. No, that's not what's happening. It'll be the Vikings and the Bears, and the Bears will go further than the Vikings, I feel, this year. I think it will be a problem, though, for all three of the front runners if the Lions are decent because that's going to throw a wrench into those division games. Because I, I think most Bears fans sit here today looking at the two Lions matchups and say, win, win, yeah, you know, double wins. It's not even going to be a question. They'll be different, though, if the, the Lions are actually somewhat competitive this season. So that's the uh, ceiling and floor for all 32 teams. You can check out the rest of the NFL on ESPN.com. I'm Chris Black with Jonathan Hood. We talk some college football coming up, Jonathan. Chris Felica, the bear from ESPN's College Game Day. He joins us next, Under the Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. ESPN Radio Sports Center. I'm Steve Lennox, Mike fulton and Jacob DeGrom involved in the pitcher's duel tonight in New York. Game one of the series at City Field. They are scoreless in the sixth inning. DeGrom has struck out nine over five scoreless, including... Seven straight. Indians home tonight against the Royals up 4-0 in the fourth. Francisco Lindor, two-run home run in the second, is 22nd on the season. Miami and number eight Florida kick off the college football season Saturday night in Orlando. Game will be on ESPN TV and ESPN Radio. ESPN college football analyst Greg McElroy on the Gators. I look at what they have to replace, and we're talking about some big-time playmakers on the defensive side like Ja'Kai Polite and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Boshan Joseph. I mean, we're talking about difference makers at all three levels in the secondary and, and the linebacker and on the defensive line. And you have to replace four of your top five offensive linemen. Yeah, they have great skill. Felipe Franks hopefully has taken the next step. But I still don't see them in the same breath as Alabama and Georgia and even LSU, who I would have clearly at number three in the SEC. Gators start the season with their highest preseason ranking since 2010. Coverage on ESPN Radio Saturday night at 6 Eastern. Panthers are cautiously optimistic that quarterback Cam Newton is going to be ready for week one. Newton suffered a sprained left foot in Thursday's preseason loss at New England. Hey, it's the Gats. Join us Monday. We'll have the funniest thing from the sports weekend. Plus, I'll have my weekend observations. That is Monday on the Dan Levitard Show with me, Stugatz, on ESPN Radio. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome back to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm Chris Black along with Jonathan Hood. You can follow us on Twitter at TweetJHood and at Chris Black. We are live from the First Midwest Bank Studios on State Street in downtown Chicago. And Jonathan, we have finally made it to week zero of the college football season. You know I'm happy, right? And you know you're happy too because college football season is finally here. Man, I've been waiting. <laughs> it just seems like it takes forever. But now we can be able to look at games and get excited because it's right here starting tomorrow. 
And uh, next weekend, we have two shows. Chicago's College Tailgate kicks off on Saturday of next week at noon. And then we are back on Monday, Labor Day, before the Notre Dame game. Jonathan Hood, Chris Bleck, Adam Abdallah. We will bring you Chicago's College Tailgate here on ESPN 1000 each Saturday throughout the fall during the college football season. How about this? Week zero kicks off with ESPN's College Game Day tomorrow, 8 o'clock Central Time from Walt Disney World in Florida before Miami and Florida. And we get a chance to talk with Chris Felica from ESPN's College Game Day. He's the bear. You can also see him on Daily Wager on ESPN2. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Felica. Chris, it's Jonathan and Chris tonight. How are you and are you looking forward to this first matchup, Miami and Florida tomorrow? I, I, I am looking, definitely looking forward to it. I'm just uh, like, kind of like you guys, excited that the uh, college football season is finally here. And we've got a, uh, a matchup tomorrow night that is uh, pretty intriguing. I, I don't think there's really any result that would truly surprise me, but I'm just, I'm just looking forward to see how uh, Jaron Williams does for the, for the Canes in his first start. And then uh, if, if Florida can look to build on the 10-win uh, the season from last year. So uh, good game tomorrow night to get the season kicked off. Well, Bear, where is the value in this game with the Hurricanes as far as, as I've seen on Bovada, uh, seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Florida? Is it at the seven-and-a-half, or is it the over-under at 47? Yeah, I don't think there's a ton of value really anywhere anymore. Uh, initially, about 10, 12 days ago, I saw the total open at 50 or so, and uh, that was what I kind of suggested to people on the pod and whatever else I've been doing, Daily Wager, like, get on the under then, it's come down, and it's almost to a point now where if you're able to get down early, maybe you buy back at 46 and you go over and try and find a, a little middle or so, or if you're a little concerned about it coming down too much, maybe you, maybe you get off it. But if I had to lean towards the game, I, I lean towards taking Miami in the points just just because I, I, I think what happened to them early last year uh, still really uh, lives, lives in their head, and they don't want to get into a bad start. Uh, like they did last year. I think Miami's defense will play well and keep them in, in, in the game. So if, if you're really itching to play the game, Miami uh, getting the, uh, the seven or seven and a half would be the way to look to go. Chris Black and Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 talking with Chris Felica from ESPN's College Game Day. If we take a look at Notre Dame as they head into the season, the win total in Vegas is set at nine and a half wins. What type of season do you think Notre Dame will have this year? I think that's a really good number. I, I, I see nine and three for Notre Dame and I, I think people like, like it was weird because uh, when the AP poll was released, I sent out that note about how uh, they hadn't started and finished a year right in the top ten since since '93. And I think a lot of people like took that as me like saying that they were going to uh, have a bad year, and that's not the case at all. Now I do think they're going to go to Georgia and lose, and I do think they'll go to Ann Arbor and lose. And there's probably enough games in between, whether it's uh, USC, maybe they surprise, or the game at Stanford, or somewhere else. And there were all the close games that they wanted winning last year. They're due to drop one this year, um, so I, I think nine and three, and probably in, uh, one of the New Year's six at large bursts is probably the way to go. I, I think looking to replace Boykin is going to be a big deal. I know that they're uh, they're high on some some of the young receivers that they have, so we'll, we'll see if they can step up. But losing like an impact player at every level of their defense is, uh, I think, key too. But but I, I think I think nine and three is probably the most likely result. Uh, for Notre Dame this year. Bear, how do you look at Ohio State without Urban Meyer? Urban Meyer taking the, the year off to work for Fox so he can take the USC job next year. Um, but as we take a look at, at, <laughs> to take a look at, at Ohio State uh, uh, with, with Coach Day, 
obviously everyone's circling Ohio State and Michigan, but how do you see that that uh, ball club? Because everywhere I see is a ten, ten and a half win total for the Buckeyes. Yeah, ten and a half is a tough number. I, I wouldn't go over ten and a half because that doesn't leave very much wiggle room. Uh, but I, I think if you look at Ohio State's season last year, I, I know the early part of the year was the easier part of the schedule. But if you look at their season as a whole, outside of the game against Michigan, where they were a home underdog against a team that they've won what eleven to twelve and six straight against, and everyone's picking Michigan to finally end the streak, going there and win. You, you guys, or myself, probably could have coached Ohio State that day to a win with the motivation that was on the line. But Ohio State played their best football of the year last year, early in the year, when Ryan Day was the interim head coach. So I, I don't think it's necessarily. Uh, the end all that, that Urban is gone. And look, Urban did a great job there. No one is uh, denying that or refuting that. But there have been times in the last few years where Ohio State has had that one game that maybe the message that Urban was trying to deliver to his team about being on upset alert, don't take Iowa lightly, don't take Purdue lightly, and something happened, the team just wasn't ready to play that night. Maybe Ryan Day will give them a different type of message and maybe you'll see more of an even heel type Ohio State as opposed to a really, really high one and maybe uh, less peaks and less valley, I think. But uh, I think Ohio State's probably still the team to beat. In the Big Ten, they have the most talent. I, I, I think I think obviously the biggest one of the biggest questions of the year for Ohio State is they call football in general. Like, is Justin Fields actually good? Uh, I, like we, we heard all these highly recruited uh, stories about the great recruit, athletic ability. But he's going to have to go out there, whether it's in Lincoln, or in Ann Arbor, or against Penn State, or against Michigan State, they're not going to be able to just line up and rely on the defense of J.K. Dobbins against those teams. They're going to have to get something out of field. So I'm really fascinated by Ohio State. Chris Felica on the phone with Chris Black and Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's interesting that you say that Ohio State's still the team to beat in the Big Ten because I think a lot of people are looking at Michigan and especially their offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, and the fact that can they do enough offensively to really catch Ohio State and be the team of the Big Ten this season? What do you think of Michigan heading into this year? I, I, I expect good things out of Gaddis. He was one of the better uh, assistant hires in the country. I think him... And uh, you, you look at Kendall Barles at Florida State, Alex Grinch at Oklahoma. Uh, those three guys right there are going to earn their money this year for, for relocating to a different team. But I, I, still, I, I think Michigan is, is a team that I think they're going to lose at Penn State. I think that's a problem. And then if, if, if Fields actually plays the way that he's capable of doing, uh, I think Ohio State can go in there and win. I, I think Michigan's got some guys on defense that they need to replace, but I think uh, they feel really good about Aquiti Pay and, and Uche as well. Uh, being able to get after the quarterback, but uh, I, I, I do think I, I, look, everyone just kind of like laughs at Michigan, like ah, oh, they're overrated again. Uh, they went total whatever it is, ten and a half. Uh, there's no way they'll win eleven, but uh, I, 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 I could see Michigan making a uh, a play. But I'm kind of stubborn at times, where like I just kind of have to like see a team like do it in order before I'm actually ready to believe in them. So until Michigan actually goes out and, and beats Michigan State at home. Uh, beats Ohio State at home, survives a road game in, in, in State College, handles Notre Dame at home like I think they should. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little gun-shy on, uh, on, on picking Michigan to win the Big Ten this year. Bear, I could build a house on the overs I've had the last few years in Oklahoma. <laughs> Man, oh God. It's paying the mortgage, I'm telling you right now. Do, do you expect, Bear, anything different from Oklahoma? I see it at 10 for the win total. What What are your thoughts on the Sooners here? Because uh, they don't have to play, have any defense for me. Just keep scoring. 
Yeah, ten, ten's a good number. I, I, I think if Oklahoma went nine and three, I'd be really, really surprised. They should win uh, all three of the non-conference games, and uh, there are a couple of tricky uh, conference games in there with the trip to Baylor, uh, playing Texas, obviously, in the Red River rivalry again. It's always a difficult game. They lost to Iowa State a couple of years ago in Lincoln. Uh, they, they can't help but be better defensively than what they were last year. I just wonder if it's as easy as plugging Jalen Hurts into that offense uh, without the great offensive line that they've had the last couple of years. And Jalen's more of a run for his quarterback, who in Alabama has been afforded a luxury of knowing that, you know what, I got one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, we don't have to go out and wing it and score every single drive. We're now with Oklahoma. He might be in some games, whether it's Bedlam or a 48-45 side game with Texas, where they're going to have to score almost every time they have the ball because the defense can't stop anybody. So I'm curious ultimately to see how it goes. I still think OU is a team to beat in the Big 12, but it wouldn't shock me in the Big 12 if we had a team like Baylor or Iowa State maybe uh, as their opponent in the Big 12 championship game. Chris Felica talking with Chris Black and uh, Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Mm-hmm. From College Game Day, Walt Disney World tomorrow built by the Home Depot. You can watch it at 8 o'clock Central Time tomorrow on ESPN. You know, Chris, when we take a look at the way we're all projecting the college football playoff to kind of shape up at the end of this season here as the season hasn't even started, a lot of people are probably looking at Clemson Alabama as the two best teams in the country. Are we going to be debating all season long whether or not a one-loss Georgia or LSU team should be the second SEC team in when we get to the end of the season? Yeah, I think we are, especially in the case of Georgia, because I, I think we could be looking at a situation like we had a couple of years ago where maybe they lose to uh, at Jordan Hare, lose to Auburn, and then wind up winning the SEC, and then we forget who, who are we put again. But I think the key will be looking to avoid that second loss that we've seen uh, in, the, in the last couple of years. We've seen a two-loss Ohio State team uh, left out. We've seen a two-loss Penn State team uh, left out. We've seen a good two-loss Stanford team uh, left out. So ultimately, with, in the minds of the committee, it's been one loss record that's ultimately been uh, the, the difference. And that makes sense because you've got a bunch of ex-coaches on the, on the committee. You're, you're, you're drilled in your mind your entire life. The ultimate goal is win, 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 win. And, and they, they can't separate themselves from win-loss. But I do think uh, we're going to be sitting here at the end of the year trying to figure out uh, whether we're going to put a second SEC team in or is the Pac-12 champion going to get in or the Big 12 champion. Uh, I, I have a pretty good feel that the Big Ten champ uh, will be in. But I think you're in. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Because you're probably going to wind up getting uh, two SEC teams. You're going to wind up getting the Big Ten champ. And I think you're going to get Clemson. So I, I think you could be looking at a situation where the, uh, uh, the middle and the bottom of the Pac-12, the Big 12 kind of, kind of cannibalize themselves and they're on the outside looking in. See, this is what I love, Chris, about the, the picks from, from from the Bear. Yeah, is that you know I told you this last year. It, it's you guys. You're a big pitcher guy. I like the small schools he puts up there on the board for Herb Street and the guys, right? <laughs> because here's what here's what happened. Hey, Chris was with me because we do our college show here in yeah. Chicago. Man, I, I won what eight or nine times on UTEP last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now they lost a lot, but when they won, I hit that too. But so so, so give us something, uh, Bear, like the non FBS that stands out to you that you that you like this year, a team. Well, uh, I think if you're looking at a couple of game, a uh, couple of games, week one, uh, I'd, I'd be interested in taking the uh, the ten points with Nevada at home uh, against Purdue next week. Uh, Purdue's got a bunch of injuries. Artorio Fuller, I believe, is out. Uh, David Bell, the young wide receiver, who they're expecting a lot of, is out. Uh, Rondell Moore is really their only offensive option, and uh, I, I think Jane Orville's team has got really good last year. They have to replace 
uh, Ty Ganji, who was a really good dual-threat quarterback that they had. But everybody else is back. So I'll be looking at maybe taking Nevada uh, plus the points next week against Purdue. But for, for the season in terms of a win total, East Carolina was a team out there. Their total was four and a half in some spots. And uh, If you look at the Pirates' schedule, uh, they have a really good chance within the first five weeks of the year to pick up three or four wins. And they still would have UConn later in the year. I think it's still have Tulsa. Uh, maybe they get a winnable game against South Florida or a Temple as well at home. Uh, they got a really good sophomore quarterback at Halton Aylers. Uh, Mike Houston was a, a very successful head coach. And James Madison, it's his first year down there. So uh, East Carolina is a team, I think, with a win total of four and a half. That uh, would not surprise me at all to see the, uh, the Pirates get six wins this year and get to a bowl. Chris, as we go through the college football season, Jonathan and I here in Chicago always have to fight back from the people promoting Northwestern as the next coming of the Big Ten. Um, we look at the way they sit and the way the schedule is at the start of this season this season, and their win total is at six and a half wins. What do you think of Northwestern in this schedule and what they're going to do this year? Well, if you can tell me if they're going to pull the upset against Stanford, that's a huge uh, swing game in terms of whether they get to six or whether they get to seven. I, I, I know Pat Fitz and those guys have been great as underdogs, and, and we, we've seen that that, that Paul Prince pop up on the board uh, with Northwestern quite a bit over the last few years as a dog, and, and they've been very, very good to Bears board. But I just wonder at some point are, are we going to see a little bit of a regression and maybe they don't win those toss-up type games. Because, look, I mean, last year they should have lost to Nebraska. I have no idea how Nebraska blew that game. And, and uh, they came back and, and they wanted it, won in East Lansing. Are they going to continue to win? Maybe they will. But, but I, I would be a little a little bearish, I would say, on going over the six and a half. That's where it may be point more towards the six and six type season. Chris, we appreciate it. Thank you. Have fun tomorrow. Absolutely. Take care, guys. That, nice yep. That's Chris Felica from ESPN's College Game Day. You can see the first show tomorrow from Walt Disney World before the Hurricanes and the Gators down in Florida. It's at 8 o'clock Central Time here in Chicago on ESPN. You can also see the Bear on the Daily Wager show on ESPN2 each and every weekday on ESPN2. See, here's the thing about Northwestern, though, Chris. See, you just don't know because they can come out of nowhere. You remember this last year, right? The win against Purdue in West Lafayette, right? Yep. And then from there, three losses against Duke, Akron, and Michigan. Now, we were scratching our head on the Akron one because it was the first time Akron beat a Big Ten school since the 1800s or something like that, some crazy stat like that, right? The Duke loss, you can take it, right? You can understand. That's a good program. But the Akron one was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, and then the loss against Michigan. Then they rattled off all those victories against Michigan State, uh, and that was on the road. Nebraska at Rutgers is nothing. But you beat uh, Wisconsin, and then you lose against Notre Dame. So six might sound good, but it, I could see seven. Uh, for this team, especially with a new quarterback in place. We're going to find out exactly what you're going to have at quarterback because this this Hunter Johnson might be bringing something to the table that we don't see in the Big Ten very often. Well, remember, Jonathan, they don't name a quarterback until the moment the game starts. Remember what Coach Fitz said a week ago? He's not going to name a quarterback until he lets you know, and that's at game time. And Northwestern fans won't know who the quarterback is because they're on their cell phones not paying attention to the games. <laughs> You know, uh, the Wildcats were 7-6 uh, and six against the spread last year. They were 4-1 and one against teams in the top 25 against the spread. So, you know, from what Chris Felica, the Bear, says there, you know, they were really good last year playing above expectations, especially in big spots. But a lot of those games, if you go back and think about the way they won those games, it was messy. 
It's yeah. not like they were convincing wins for the Wildcats. I know. Chris Black and Jonathan Hood coming up next. Dwight Howard signs with the Lakers? What? We'll talk about it next here on Under the Hood. You're listening to my man's and them, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coming up in 10 minutes here on ESPN 1000, is preseason NFL football going to be uh, different next season? Is it going away? Is this the end of preseason football in the NFL? We'll talk about it at the top of the hour. Coming up here on Under the Hood, Chris Black and Jonathan Hood here on Under the Hood. Uh, Jonathan, did you see this today from Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN.com? After completing a contract buyout with the Memphis Grizzlies, Dwight Howard will sign a non-guaranteed contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. And there comes a clear message with this contract. Disrupt this team and you'll be gone. How about that? Dwight Howard is going to join the Lakers. That it didn't work the first time, and now it's going to work a second time. Well, the Lakers are going back to like the 1980s, aren't they? Just put any dope in the middle just to get five fouls or six fouls. I mean, Dwight Howard. Here's what's going to be weird about Dwight Howard, right? You and I are going to see Dwight Howard go to the Hall of Fame because he will be on the he'll be in the Hall of Fame, and you're going to see like a number of people in the front rows just leave. They're just going to (laughs) because Bigs can't take it, man. They because his career could have been something. He, it could have been something special, and he just didn't want to be great. He Simply. Didn't, he didn't want to be great, and he's also uh, he rubs people the wrong way because I think you can make the statement that he's going to go into the Hall of Fame even though maybe the credentials don't really catch your eye immediately. And you could say, yeah, but he's a great guy, so he deserves it, right? Like, that's going to happen for Vince Carter. Vince Carter will get into the Hall of Fame because everyone loves Vince Carter. It's not the same thing with Dwight Howard. And, you know, he only played nine games last season with the Washington Wizards before back surgery ended the season. Uh, The article also says that they think that Howard feels like he has something to prove and that's why he's interested and he wants to do this and that they have some leverage over him because then they can just kick him out. If not, um, you know, Dwight... How, how, many, how many Sports Illustrated columns I mean, do you have to have of Dwight Howard has to prove himself? It, how many times incredible. have you read that from Lee Jenkins over the years, right? Yeah, now working for the Clippers. So he can't, he's not there to write this article about the Lakers now. Um, uh, so Howard played one season for the Lakers. It was in 2012-13. Uh, and then he left in free agency for the Houston Rockets. Jonathan and I actually have a Dwight Howard story from that season. We went to a Bulls-Lakers game from that year. Remember, that was the new dream team, right? right. It was Kobe, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard. They were on the cover of SI. Everyone thought into the season that they were going to be great. They were terrible. The game was like mid-December. The Bulls ran the Lakers off the floor. Yeah. And after the game, Jonathan and I both worked the locker room afterwards because we wanted to go be in Kobe Bryant's presence. I wanted to go kind of stand next to Steve Nash as well and see if I could compare to him and, like, you know, take him. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we go into the locker room, Lakers locker room, after the Bulls blow them out. Right. Kobe's nowhere to be found. He's back in the trainer's room waiting for the media to leave because he doesn't want to deal with the embarrassment of how bad the Lakers were that night. Remember, Dwight Howard was a clown show on the court that night, too. Yep. Part of the reason why they lost. Steve Nash stood there at his locker. He talked to the media. Paul Gasol talked to the media, stood at his locker. Yep. Uh, other veterans that were there talked to the media, got dressed, they left. Dwight Howard, in the middle of this, is walking around to other clown guys on the roster with the sheet of the box score going, hey, man, look what, look what I did tonight. Look what I did tonight. I remember that. And yeah. Jonathan, you hit me on the arm and you go, hold on, look at that. And in the corner, Dwight Howard's walking around with a box score saying, 
Look what I did tonight. Mm-hmm. True story. We were in the locker room. We saw it with our own eyes. He's a clown. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's who he is. A clown that's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Because <laughs> when, you go, when you go to pro basketball reference, as much as this pains me to tell you, through 15 years, Dwight Howard's career is linked to Bob Lanier, Walt Bellamy, Patrick Ewing, Jack Sikma, Dan Issel, Moses Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon, Robert Parrish, Dikembe Mutombo, and Wes Unseld. Uh, all of those guys were great. All of those guys were great. And Howard's numbers are going to equate to those guys. And it just, I can tell the stomachs will be turning in Springfield to welcome that guy into the Hall of Fame because he just didn't want to be a great player. He wanted to be good, but just didn't want to be great. What percentage would you put on this? Uh, when the playoffs start next season, yep. will Dwight Howard be on the Lakers roster? No. What percentage? I, w- I think that's 100%. I don't think he makes it this season. No. And maybe it's because of injuries more so than anything else because I, th- I think he can't get up and down the floor like like the, some of these younger, younger guys uh, in the NBA. You now. think LeBron's going to put up with that? No. You think Maverick Carter's going to put up with that? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, it's a stopgap because Boogie's hurt. That's I mean, why didn't they just sign Joakim Noah? That would have been better. That's more of a team guy. But... I guess Joe Kim can just be able to squash the beef with LeBron just for this situation. And they'll always have Joe Kim as a backup, right? Because when it goes south with Dwight early in the season, they'll bring Joe Kim on. Joe Kim would have been the better option. I think so. Yeah. He can give you 10 minutes a night. Better locker room guy. Yeah, of course. Jonathan Hood, Chris Black coming up next <laughs> is the NFL preseason. All but done for. Next season will be eliminated. We'll talk about it coming up next here on Under the Hood. Oh, what?